Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are continuing on our study in the book of the Revelation, and we have been Within this study now for a number of months, we are in chapter 20 tonight of the book of Revelation. If you would open your Bible with me to chapter 20 of this great, awesome book. Uh, and of course, we have studied John's vision of the risen Christ in chapter 1. We have studied the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, chapters 2 and 3. And then as we have begun chapter 4 forward... We have been looking at the seven-year period of the Great Tribulation. This is a period of time that is yet to come in our earth's history, but it is indeed on its way. Uh, 95-plus percent of the prophecy of God's Word has been fulfilled, and we can look in the history books. You can look at the history books and, you, and your newspaper, and you can see the fulfillment of prophecy. But there is still a small segment of prophecy yet to be fulfilled, and the Great Tribulation is certainly part of that. This seven years of punishment and wrath by God uh, comes because of sin that is within the world, and God is exacting punishment against it. And, of course, you remember that the world during that seven-year period is infiltrated by Satan, by the Antichrist. There are natural and social upheavals during that time. It is a time of extremely severe testing of this old world. But also we see that this is a period of time, this seven years, is a period of time of intense preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those points are on your sheet. While it is a period of testing, it's also a period of preaching. And millions of people come to the Lord Jesus during the Great Tribulation. You do remember that the church is gone. The church has been raptured away. So it's not the church age any longer. However, there are thousands of witnesses in the world. If you remember, they come from the Jewish nation, the 12 families of the Jewish nation, the tribes of, Jew, of, of the Jews going into the world, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And millions upon millions, uncounted numbers, are, have come to Jesus as Lord and Savior during the Great Tribulation. So even in the darkest days of earth's history, you see the light of Jesus Christ during that time. Now, in the last uh, lesson that we had together, we studied Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. At that particular point, as chapter 20 opens, the great tribulation is over. The Antichrist has been cast into hell. Satan is bound and incarcerated in the pit of Hades for 1,000 years. He's not gone completely. He's going to show himself one more time, but he is incarcerated in Hades for 1,000 years. So Satan's influence and sin, as brought it through temptation by Satan, is removed from the earth. And Jesus Christ bodily reigns on this earth for that 1,000 years, which is called the millennium. That will be a period of ideal peace, 
a period of rest for the earth. And not only will Jesus reign, but also all the saved people of the ages will be reigning with him. And that will include you and me. So you and I are studying our own future history when we know we, as believers in the Lord Jesus, will reign with him during that thousand-year period of the millennium. Now tonight, we're going to pick up our study at the end of the thousand years. When the millennium is complete, when the reign of Jesus on the earth with the absence of Satan has been completed, here's what happens going to Revelation chapter 20, looking at verses 7 through 15 tonight. So hear these words from the book that promises us in the first chapter that when we read this word, we will automatically be blessed. So here's the blessing for tonight. Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 15. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of his word, this portion of God which blesses us tonight simply because we have heard it. Well, after Jesus has led the earth's government for 1,000 years, Satan is going to be allowed by God to be released from Hades, released from the pit in which he was held captive. Now, believe me, when Satan is freed, he is going to be filled with vengeance, that's on your sheet, filled with anger, filled with malice. But here's what's interesting. Jesus has reigned on this earth for 1,000 years in absolute perfection. And yet, when Satan returns, Scripture says he will deceive the population on the earth once again. 
Now, you'll notice in Scripture, it refers to the four corners of the earth. That means the entire earth is going to be involved in this temptation. So Satan, once again, gathers earth soldiers to do battle against God Almighty. Revelation chapter 20, verse 8, it implies that this is, again, a huge army. Now, Armageddon is over. This is another rebellion against God. The soldiers of Satan, again, are surrounding the people of God of Israel, surrounding God's children and surrounding Jerusalem, ready to kill, ready to blaspheme the very name of God. Well, how can that be? Jesus has reigned on the earth in perfection for 1,000 years, and yet Satan returns briefly and once again stirs up rebellion of the people on the earth against the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That there has been absolute peace. You remember the Old Testament reading that a child could play with a snake, that the lion would lie down with its prey. The earth is at peace. Even nature is at peace. For that 1,000 years, Satan is gone. Temptation is gone. And then he's released, and he stirs up men and women against God once again. That's amazing to me. But I want you to listen closely. If you, if you back up to Revelation chapter 18, Revel, as, as we look at Revelation, Babylon is destroyed, and yet there is still a population on the earth to lament her. You notice that in the 18th chapter, that though the central rulership of the Antichrist is destroyed, there's still a population left on the earth to lament and be sorrowful that Babylon is gone. So people are still on the earth. Revelation 19, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see the defeat of the Antichrist. The Lord destroys the soldiers of the earth at Armageddon. However, not everybody on the earth was a soldier at Armageddon. So there are people still left on the earth after Armageddon is done. Not everybody died at Armageddon. Not everybody was a soldier. So there was a certain population left on the earth. Then chapter 20 deals with the binding of Satan, the coming of Christ, and his millennial reign. But nowhere in the Scripture does it tell us that all of the earth's population is gone. There is still a remnant. There's the word you're looking for. There is a remnant of humankind on the earth. Uh, When Jesus comes for the millennial reign, there was a remnant on the earth as he comes When he finishes that 1,000 years, there are still people on the earth. Scripture is plain that there will be lost people at the end of the millennial reign. Now, I believe that the millennium is going to be a time of not only great peace, but also it's going to be a time of great population growth. If you remember, the atmosphere of the world is wonderful. Uh, there, there are no killings. Uh, it seems that things are at peace, so the population grows. At the end of the, of the thousand years, the earth is filled with people, believe it or not. Even though Jesus is reigning on the earth, many of them are not saved. There are still lost people. With Jesus literally reigning on the earth, 
There are still lost people here, even under the direct leading of the Savior. This is still an age of free will. Although Jesus is bodily reigning with his saints on this earth, free will is still the status quo of the day. People who are on the earth still have the decision to make about receiving Christ as Savior. Dr. Harry Ironside uh, was a great theologian at the beginning of, this, of, the, uh, of the last century. And he has this to say about this time after the millennium. Dr. Ironside wrote, If men sin during the millennium, it will not be on account of having been deceived. Satan and his temptations are absent. It will be simply because of self-will and the yielding to lusts of their own hearts. For we need to remember that the kingdom age is not to be a dispensation of sinlessness. There will be some, even in that blessed time, who will dare to act in defiance of the will of God, but such will soon be dealt with in condign judgment. Such cases will, I take it, be very exceptional, but Scripture makes it plain that there will be offenses even when God's King rules over the earth. So even in the age when Jesus is ruling the earth, there will be lost people here, there will be offenses against the Savior, and there will be sin still upon the earth. So those words teach us that the human heart is still very sad. People don't have to have Satan to tempt them into sin. The human heart is enough in its lostness to bring people to sin. You don't need Satan directly to tempt you to sin. The lostness of a human heart will lead a person to sin. So there, during this age, there's no excuse of the devil made me do it because during the millennium, the devil is not present. So the sin comes from the heart removed from Jesus. So what we see in the Bible's description of human nature is that throughout the years, human nature has not changed one bit. People from Adam and Eve through the Great Tribulation, through the millennial reign of Christ, still have free will to choose to accept or reject the Savior. Even as the Savior is bodily reigning on the earth, people have to make the decision to accept Him as Savior. But we think about the long haul of sin on the earth with Adam and Eve in Genesis. God placed them in a sin-free environment of Eden, and they were tempted and they quickly fell into sin. With Noah and his family, you remember that they survived the flood because they were righteous people, and they were deposited into a clean, sin-free world. But if you read Genesis chapter 9, Noah immediately got drunk and fell back into wickedness and back into unrighteousness. Jonah, a prophet called of God, and yet his human nature took over, and rather than deliver the good news of a God who loves Nineveh, he wanted to run from preaching that good news. Peter, a man who followed Christ day after day for three years, yet the night before Jesus' death, Peter's human nature took over and he denied the Savior three times. 
And then at the end of the Bible, the world's living under the very rulership of Jesus Christ. And the world is seeing the saints of God, including you and me, ruling along with him as co-leaders. But then when Satan is loosed for that little bit of time, he tempts people and the old nature is rekindled. And millions, millions rebel against God in that moment that Satan is loosed from the pit And it brings war against God one last time. It's no wonder that Jesus called people sheep so often, so easily led astray. But when Satan mounts this last battle, after the thousand years are done and he is released from the pit for a short time, when he mounts this last attack on God, Scripture says that fire falls from heaven and God devours them all. So here is the final appearance of Satan in your Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. At the point that Satan is cast into hell for all eternity, God then raises from their grave every unforgiven sinner of the ages. Every unforgiven sinner who's ever lived at this moment is raised from their own graves. When Satan is done away with for all eternity, then the judgment of the lost is going to come. The unforgiven, the unbelievers are raised from their own graves and they will stand before Almighty God at the great white throne judgment. There they will hear the final words of God about their life. Now, this awesome person that is sitting on the throne, I believe the reference is to God. I believe Jesus Christ is absolutely on the throne because he's the one, remember, at the beginning of Revelation that earned the right to have the scroll of the great tribulation and the scroll of ownership of the earth. He earned that right through the old rugged cross. And I believe by the very Godhead that we understand in God's Word that Jesus Christ is the one who has the authority and the right not only to grant salvation to the believer but also the one to sit on the throne to send the lost to hell. So I believe we're seeing Jesus on the throne as the unsaved, unrepentant, wicked, rebellious men and women of the ages look upon him. They're not going to see the Lamb of God. They will see the Lion of the tribe of Judah. As they look upon him on that throne at the great white throne, they will not see the Savior they will see the judge. He is terrifying in his appearance. Isn't that interesting? When we see the gospel pictures of Jesus and when we develop that picture in our mind, we see this humble man who is reaching out, offering salvation, going to the cross as the suffering servant. And yet when we see this picture of him, it is exactly the opposite. This is a terrifying picture of Jesus to the lost. They're terrified of his appearance It's so terrifying that heaven and earth flee from him. Do you remember the story of, in the story of Adam and Eve, when they sinned, that God walked about the garden in the cool of the day, and when he called their names, they hid among the trees. Remember that? 
They hid from him. They found a hiding place from him. Now, although God called their names, he knew very well where they were. But they hid themselves because they knew they had sinned against their creator. In this age, after the millennial reign, when Satan is in hell, when the unrighteous and unforgiven are raised from their graves, when sinners stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne, all hiding places are gone. There is no hiding place. There is nowhere to hide yourself or to hide your sin. There's nothing but the stark and terrifying reality that you stand before the one that you rejected all your life. The one who offered invitation after invitation and grace after grace. The one you never came to standing before him now is a terrifying thing. There's no hiding place. There's no excuse that is sufficient. There is no sorrow that's so deep. There are no tears that are so numerous that anyone standing at the great white throne will be forgiven. The time is past. The door is closed. Eternity is set. And there's no U-turn offered. It's done. The sinner and the judge face to face. And I believe that there's an awesome silence and quietness that surrounds this judge. There are two kinds of books opened. There are books that are recorded of the deeds of all people. And then there is the one book of life that is opened. Now, in the book of deeds, what is the primary deed that Jesus is looking for in that book of deeds? He's looking for a moment of decision. He's looking for that moment recorded in the book of deeds that that man or woman, boy or girl, came to the Lord Jesus Christ and confessed him as Savior. And when that moment comes, then that name is written in the book of life for all eternity, inscribed by the very hand of God. In the books of deeds, there is no inscription that that person came to the Lord Jesus. In the book of life, There's no inscription of that name. I cannot begin to describe to you, in fact, I cannot begin to completely comprehend the feeling of remorse and agony and terror that that person will feel in that moment when their mind and their soul is naked before God, standing before the judge. Now, I believe, and this is on your sheet, I believe that there are four classes of people who will be at the great white throne judgment. The first class is very obvious, the atheist, the one who said there is no God or there is no God who is worthy of my life. They may have called God a crutch all of their lives. They may have felt that they did not need any sort of forgiveness or there was no God more powerful enough to offer forgiveness. So the one who made no bones about the fact that there is no God or if there is a God, he is very weak, detesting God's nature, detesting God's name, that atheist or that non-believer will be there. Second class of person before the great white throne is the self-righteous person. That person who felt that forgiveness was for the murderer and for the rapist and for the thief and for the pervert, but he or she was just good enough that they didn't need to be saved. 
that didn't need to fall before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness. They were good enough that they didn't need a Savior. They will be at the great white throne of judgment. They may be surprised to stand there, but their good works could not save them. The third group to stand at the great white throne will be the procrastinators, those who know that they need to make a decision for Christ, but they're just too busy. They have too many things going on in their life. Or they say, I'm going to accept him tomorrow. And tomorrow after tomorrow after tomorrow comes, but the one tomorrow of decision never does come. And it is too late. And that man or that woman, boy or girl, will stand before the great white throne realizing that they could have made a decision many times in their life and never did because they put it off and waited too long. The fourth group standing at the great white throne may surprise you and it may offend some people, but there will be some church members who stand at the great white throne of judgment. People who got their name on a church roll but never got their name in the book of life. You see, there's a difference between warming a pew and having your heart ignited by the Spirit of God because you've received Him as Lord and Savior. Coming to church is a a wonderful thing, but coming to church cannot save anybody. What brings salvation is the decision for the Lord Jesus. As much as I wanted to see my son and my daughter saved, I could not make a decision for them. It was their personal choice to come to Christ. I could bring them to church every Sunday of their lives and every Wednesday night and every time the doors are open, my children were here, but that didn't save Carrier Gabe. It came because of a personal decision for the Lord Jesus. You have to confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God indeed saves through his son Jesus who is resurrected from the grave. Those who just played church, those who just came to warm a pew, may have even worked in the church, but they never came to the Savior. And I think that group is going to be the most surprised that they stand at the great white throne. But they were fooled believing that church could save you, that good works even within the church could save you but they never came to a decision for Christ. A name on a church roll, but not in the book of life. That group will be surprised. So as the books are opened, the sinner will find that every action and every word of life has been recorded. Words of profanity, words of gossip, words of hatred, words of dirty jokes or slander, all of it for the sinner will be revealed, recorded, because it's not been forgiven. It's still in existence. You know, it puts my stomach in turmoil to think of the utter shame of every sinful word and action being revealed to eternity. At the great white throne, there will be no grace, no second chance, no U-turn. Does this message need to be preached? Absolutely. Will it be offensive to some? Yes but it is the truth of the Word of God. And the truth of the Word of God needs to be proclaimed. The evangelist, Billy Sunday, this is one of my favorite stories. 
The evangelist Billy Sunday, who, of course, was the pre-forerunner, precursor uh, to Billy Graham, but Billy Sunday preached a message in a large city, and the message was about hell. It was years ago. One of the city leaders came to him and said, Dr. Sunday, you are hurting feelings all over the city with your messages about hell. You're rubbing the fur on the cat the wrong way. Billy Sunday said, that's because the cat is headed for hell. If the cat turns around, I'll be rubbing in the right direction. Every lost person is going to stand before Jesus Christ, and the Lord is going to say, the name is not recorded in the book of life, but record this name now, and beside it, write four letters, L-O-S-T, forever. Depart from me. But the good news is, if you are hearing this message tonight, and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, Your case tonight can be settled out of court. It can be settled through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. My case has been settled. My forgiveness has come. I have no fear about this great white throne because I'm not going to be there. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be at the great white throne. But tonight, if you need him as your Savior, this is the moment that you can say, Lord, I need Jesus as my Savior. I need to come to you through the cross of Jesus who went there to die to take the punishment for my sin, for my lostness. Lord, I want in the book of deeds written November 13th, 2013 as the night that I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And then, Lord, in the other book, the book of life, inscribe my name tonight because I received you. And my name will be there for all eternity. And I truly, fully believe that one day when those books are opened, I believe that we will see our name inscribed by the very hand of God. I can't wait to see the the handprint of God. I'm glad it's not a computer readout. It's going to be the very handprint, handwriting of God, writing our names in the book. Tonight, if you need him, indeed, this date will stand for all eternity. If you come to face this altar tonight or in a day to come, you will never face the great white throne. That's the good news that the Lord offers us here.